multitude of our intentions do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they will have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortitudes and our sacred honor from that point forward our nation our young nation has no longer been dependent on Great Britain. Even as parents, we raise our children to be independent. To be independent on their own so that they are no longer dependent on their parents. Independence is a part of who we are and who we try to be as humans. However, as people of faith, we learn to place our dependence on God. And according to James, this is a characteristic of faith. And in our text today, James gives us at least two ways that we place our dependence on God. The first way uh, I want you to notice uh, begins in James chapter 4 and verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. So how do we as people of faith show our dependence on God? We do that by not leaving God out of our plans. When it comes to, or when someone mentions to you or says something about an atheist, what comes to your mind? Well, you might say, we uh, determine or we call those people atheists who say, we don't believe in God. God does not exist. And the answer to that would be correct. But what would you say if someone talked about or mentioned to you the term practical atheist? You might say, practical atheist? What is that? What is meant by a practical atheist is not those who say God doesn't exist, but those who live as if God doesn't exist. In other words, they acknowledge that there is a God. But when you look at their life, when you examine their life, it is obvious that God has no part of their thinking or their actions. God is left out of their lives. Amen. 
There is nothing that more clearly summarizes the character of the people of faith than a desire to do the will of God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 40 and verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. In Psalm 143 and verse 10, the Bible says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God, and your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus gave a sobering warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Peter also challenged Christians in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2 that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of of God. Prior to the captivity, the Jews were primarily an agricultural people. However, when they were scattered abroad, they had to learn to adapt or die or really struggle mightily. They learned to become successful in business, primarily trading. They naturally sought out flourishing trade centers to do business. Other countries would even invite them to help their economy. That's how efficient they had become in business and trading. And so James, in chapter 4, ending up this part of the letter, he says, Come now. It's a call for attention. In other words, James is saying, Listen up. Listen up to what I'm about to say. And he speaks to those who say. Come now, you who say. He's not talking about people who are just full of talk. The Greek word means to speak as a result of careful planning. You see, these individuals, they had planned the time that they would start. They had planned the place that they would trade. They had planned how long they would stay. They had planned their activity and even their results. So what was the problem? Was James condemning them for trading or being involved in business? No. Was he condemning them for making a profit? No. Was he saying that it was wrong to plan ahead? And the answer is still no. So what was the problem then? What is it that these people were that what is it that these people were doing that was so wrong? What James is condemning them for is leaving God out of their plans. You see, he was rebuking those who were constantly thinking through and talking about their plans as if God didn't exist. Practical atheist. The people he was addressing, they did extensive planning. 
But in that planning, they ignored God. He was not a part of their agenda. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 19 to Pilate? You remember when he was there, the crowd had, they, they, they asked for Barabbas. And then he says, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do with this Jesus? And the crowd cries out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus gives Pilate some advice as well as all of us. To remind us who it is who gives us the things that we have. Look at Luke, John chapter 19, beginning in verse 8. Therefore when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And here's what Jesus said to Pilate. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus warned those who had forgotten God in their planning. In verse 14, that they didn't even know what was going to happen tomorrow. Many people plan their lives as if they're going to live forever. And there's nothing wrong with planning. But the problem comes when we make our plans and we never include God. Or we never even petition God to be in the middle of our plans. Life is far from being simple, isn't it? It's a complex matrix of different events and people and circumstances. Which we really have no control over. So how can someone make specific plans about the future? But in spite of this, many still think they are in charge of their life. David wrote in Psalm 37, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Also, uh, the Solomon in a similar way in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. James then takes and illustrates this, his point, by speaking of a vapor. He says, your life is a vapor. It's here only for a short time and then it vanishes away. So when you boil water on the stovetop and that vapor rises, remember what James says. Your life is just a vapor. He wants them to think about what they're doing. And everything that they do include God. The next time you're, you're at a campfire. And you see that smoke rising. 
Watch it disappear. And think about what James says. Or the next time you enjoy a hot cup of coffee, watch that steam rise from that cup of coffee and see it vanish. And remember what James says about our life. The challenge was for them to include God. People of faith have to be conscientious of these things. Because we too can be guilty of setting God aside in favor of our own will. Believing in God but yet not living with His will in the middle of our life. James says when we do so we better be careful. Because it's arrogant boasting and such boasting James says is evil. So what are we to do? In verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Remember that Jesus prayed in the garden, facing his death, being left alone, sweat drops as if it were great drops of blood, and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus is not only our Savior, Jesus is our great example. You see, we must make God the Father a part of our everyday plans. We must make His will the main purpose in our life. There's no wondering what the will of God is for our life. It's, it's here in Scripture. And it's making sure He is a part of what we do. He is a part of our work. He is a part of our school. He is a part of our recreation. He is a part of our plans. We must examine our lives and our plans and our motives to make sure God is in the middle of them. As the words of the familiar hymn, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way, thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Let's make, God, let's make sure we live out our dependence on God by making Him a part of everything that we do. But another way, the second way that people of faith place their dependence on God is by not trusting in riches. Notice what James says in chapter 5. Come now... You rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corro corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the labor laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, crying out, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath host you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter you have condemned you have murdered the just he does not resist you again James uses the term of attention listen up listen up Christians to what I'm about to tell you but now he speaks to the rich 
You know, God is interested in everything that concerns our money. God is interested in those things. He's interested in how we make money, how we get money. He's interested in how we spend and how we save it. He's interested in how we give it away and how we keep it for ourselves. But with every blessing from God, it also brings responsibility. James is warning the rich that a day of judgment is coming. And he gives this picture of the fire of hell that will burn things up. You see, riches will not last. Those who trust in riches, James says, they will weep and they will howl because the miseries that are coming upon them. The rich, they have burdens to bear. They bear the burdens in getting riches. They bear the burden of anxiety in keeping riches. They bear the burden of temptation in using riches. And the burden of guilt in abusing riches. And the reality is the rich have problems like everyone else. But is there something for us in these warnings from James? But because most of the time when, when we think about people that are rich, we think about someone else, right? But here's the reality. Living in the United States of America puts us in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. And today, even though James is likely writing to rich Jewish landowners, we can trust in our money just as easily as they could and did. As some would have said, we have God, in God we trust, engraved on our money, but me first engraved on our hearts. Yet, People continue to think, if I can only have more money, then I would be happy. And James says about that pursuit for riches, riches that they will be corrupt. They are corrupted. Even the clothing, even our clothing will be destroyed, moth-eaten. Gold and silver will corrode and be no good. As in a courtroom scene, he says, they will be witnesses against you. They will eat your flesh like fire. But here's the primary concern, it seems to be, that James is worried about for these people who are rich. That they did not use their riches for the benefit of mankind. Notice verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out as another witness against you. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath, not uh, or the Lord of hosts. The Lord hears this. Could there be lessons for us? Oh, sure. For example, have you been blessed 
with a paycheck? Oh, now sure, we could say, you know what, I would like to have more in my paycheck. And maybe you can work for that and and reach that goal someday. But, But in reality, are we not already blessed because we receive a paycheck? Have we been blessed with the ability to have homes and cars and clothes and plenty of food and so on and so forth? Absolutely, yes. We always could want more. But the reality is we have been blessed with tremendous riches simply because we have the opportunity to live in this nation. And so we're led to ask ourselves, are we using the blessings for which God has given us to the glory of God? We've been blessed financially and materially above all people. And we must remember with these great blessings come great responsibility. James condemns those who are rich and that while they lived on earth, they did so in their own pleasure and in luxury. He gives a picture similar to a farmer who is taking his cattle to the slaughter. And they pack them in these, in these areas where they can't move around a lot. That's not open grazing field. And they put feed right in front of them. And it's, it's luxury for that cow. All they have to do is stand there and eat. And get fat. James says this is the picture of those who are rich. And they hoard up their riches for themselves instead of using them for the betterment of mankind and for the glory of God. You know, we may not be highly immoral or criminal, but we can be guilty of self-indulgence. We're constantly bombarded with advertisements saying, you need this. This is what you need. You've got to have this or be a part of this. Have this in your life in order to be happy. And then our temptation is to rush out and buy, buy, buy. So again, what are we to do as people of faith? Paul gives some helpful advice in connection to what James says when he writes this letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice what he says. Command those who are rich in this present age. Remember, if we live in this country, we are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in all the world. And Paul says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Because all that we've been given is from God. The abilities that we have, God gave us those abilities. The talents that we have, God gave us those talents. The interests that we have, God gave us those. And the creation of our personality. And he says, share it. Share it to the glory of God and to the betterment of mankind. And when we do so, 
Paul says they're storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see, God has blessed us tremendously. One of the things James says at the end of chapter 1, he says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The reality is, though James gives some, some tough things to hear, he also encourages us to be humble. Humble before God, realizing I need to be washed and cleansed of my sin. John would add, we need to continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. Therefore, continually receiving the forgiveness of sins. We have been blessed tremendously in many, many ways. We show our dependence on God when we make him the center of our life and the center of our plans. And when we use the material blessings that he has given us to his glory... And for the betterment of mankind. Today, could we be called a practical atheist? Or someone who's just practicing religion? Or someone who is humbly living before God, realizing, you know what, I make mistakes. I need Jesus. And you know what, I need to take the things that God has given me and use them for His glory and to make the world a better place as long as I'm here and I have the opportunity. If you have a need this morning, whatever that need is, we invite you to come and let us assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing.